0: You can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to first Kings chapter sixteen that's where we're going to get started this morning. I joked earlier that you 're stuck with me today, but I do enjoy being able to uh, to preach on occasion when pastor John 's out of town um, and thankful for the opportunity so uh, but yeah, go ahead and turn to first Kings chapter sixteen and uh, when I was starting to prepare to uh, speak this morning. There were a couple different things that uh, um, that God was kind of laying on my heart, and this is what uh, really kind of settled on as far as what He would have me bring today. Um, but there's really kind of a lot of different things that kind of led me in this direction. Um, one would be uh, we mentioned Pastor John's mentioned before, I've mentioned before, or last several weeks that uh a couple weeks here. In the festival in Emily City, uh, the youth group, we're going to have an opportunity to... Our church, we've, the last several years for the festival, we've handed out bottles of water. um, And as a youth group, we're going to be using that opportunity to also be able to share the gospel with people who are going to be walking around the festival. Um, So that's something that I've been preparing uh, uh, spiritually for, thinking about uh, how that's going to go. And then also recently, within the past uh, several weeks... Uh, Myself, Pastor John and Kelsey as the the office staff, we started to go through um, a book by Alistair Begg. um, And it's about uh, basically about the book of Daniel. So going through that and a couple different things that have come up along the ways uh, with both of those things have actually kind of led here. Now that now you're thinking you're talking about Daniel. What are we doing in First Kings? Well, there is going to be some kind of relation as far as what I'm talking about with what's going on here in First Kings and uh, kind of the connection of of Daniel. Um, But what we're going to be talking about this morning is how um, we're going to be talking about Elijah and how he was able to stand in the gap of where it seemed that there was nobody else that was going to be serving God in his time. And he was still able to go out boldly and do that. Um, But today, you know, thinking about the opportunity of sharing the gospel with people out in the open, um, really just going up to strangers and, and starting a gospel conversation, that can be pretty intimidating. It can be intimidating for us as Christians, as followers of Christ to go out and proclaim the word of God, share the gospel with people, and really just be his witnesses in the world around us. We know that that's what we're called to do, and we, we maybe we know different ways of how we can do it. Maybe we know certain people that we can share that truth with, uh, but when it comes to actually doing it, it can be kind of scary at times. Um, and it can be difficult to have that confidence or that boldness to stand up for what we know to be right and to proclaim God's word. Uh, So like I said this morning, I want to look at someone in the Bible who lived in a time where his nation was quite possibly uh, the worst state that it had ever been spiritually. I mentioned we're going to be talking about Elijah, and and as we look into uh, the time that he was alive in the nation of Israel, their nation was so spiritually dark. And we're going to get into exactly uh, what we mean by that, but it was so spiritually dark uh, that it seemed as though Elijah was the only one that was willing to stand for the truth. Um, but we, we will see that he wasn't the only one, uh, but for just the average person to kind of look around, really there was no evidence of God uh, working in the nation of Israel at that time. But, help, but hopefully, as we look at Elijah and his story here in 1 Kings, uh, we're going to be able to uh, come away being encouraged by how God was able to use Elijah in that difficult time. Um, the boldness that Elijah showed as he was proclaiming God's truth and also really the source of Elijah's boldness. Uh, but before we jump into the text, I do want to get a little bit of uh, background on the situation that uh, Elijah was facing, just so we can get a little bit of an understanding. Um, and if we were to look in First Kings chapter 16, uh, there's a few verses where we're going to kind of understand uh, what's going on leading into this. All right, so let's go ahead. We're going to read in First Kings chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 29, and we're going to read through verse 33 to get an understanding of the 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 time that israel was in when elijah was around so first kings chapter 16 verse 29 and in the 30 and 8th year of asa king of judah began ahab the son of omri to reign over israel and ahab the son of omri reigned over israel in samaria 20 and 2 years and ahab the son of omri did evil in the sight of the lord above all that were before him and it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took, the wife Je- took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. So as we go through those uh, few verses right there, first of all, we are introduced to King Ahab. And if you know any kind of history about uh, the different kings of Israel, actually, the kids on Wednesday nights uh, they're looking at all the different kings of the kingdoms of Israel and Judah when it when they had split. Um, and really, if you know the story of those, there was way more wicked and evil kings than there were uh, good kings. And Ahab was really kind of like the worst of the worst. And we see here that he reigned; uh, he was king of Israel for 22 years. And the first description that we get of Ahab, aside from you know who he's the son of, was that he did evil in the sight of God. But not only did he do evil in the sight of God, but he did more evil in the sight of God than any other king before him. Now, that's not really a record that you would want to hold, right? That's not something you'd want to be known for, uh, to be known as the most evil king up to this point. Uh, and if we were to look at verse 31, we see uh, where it says that as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. So just a little reference of what that's kind of talking about. If we were to look back at Jeroboam when he was king, he kind of changed a lot of the ways that the Israelites worshipped God. Okay? And he still, at that time, he was still kind of worshipping God, but he started setting up a bunch of different um, things of how they had to do it. Basically, what he was doing was he was adding to God's law. And if if you've read any of the Bible, you understand that adding to God's law or basically saying, yeah, what God said was good, but we should also add this. That's not really something that you want to do. And so that was, even though they were still worshiping the God of Israel, the true God, they were doing things that they were adding on to what God told them they needed to do. Basically, they said, what God set up, it's not good enough for us. We need to do more more than that. Um, So that's obviously not a good thing to be known for. And that's what Jeroboam was known for. And we read here that. Ahab was so bad that he really didn't think it was even that bad of an idea to do something like that, that he went above and beyond and he ended up setting up a temple for Baal and he married uh, a wife whose father's name actually means with Baal. Okay, so he 's really liking to be, to, to show, associate himself with Baal, setting up uh, a temple to worship there. as we read throughout the story of Elijah, we see that he has all these different prophets of Baal, uh, these people who are priests for Baal, and he really just went all in on leading the nation of Israel to worshiping the false idol Baal. So uh, to say that Ahab uh, was on thin ice with God right obviously. Be quite an understatement because we've already seen that he's done more evil than any other king in Israel. We see that he's provoked anger from God more than anybody else. So he's not a good guy, right? To, to put it lightly, he's not a good guy. Really to summarize the state of Israel when Elijah was around would be that Israel is not an easy place to be a servant of the one true God. So we're going to be jumping into Elijah's story where he comes into play. Uh, and and start to get an idea of how he can be our example when it comes to uh, shining the light in a dark world. Uh, Before we jump into the story of Elijah, let's just pray one more time as we uh, go into the text this morning. Dear God, I just thank you once again for bringing us here together. I pray uh, that as we go into your word, that you would give me the words to speak, that they wouldn't be my own words, God, uh, but that it would be what you would have us here this morning. And I pray that as we look at the story of Elijah, that we would be able to see somebody that we can look up to, uh, somebody that that we wouldn't look at as uh, an unrealistic expectation to set for ourselves, and uh, that we would get an understanding of why Elijah was able to be uh, the man that he was and the servant that he was. So I pray that you continue to bless the time that we have this morning. Just uh, open our hearts uh, for what you have for us today. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to go ahead and jump into 1 Kings chapter 17 uh, to get an idea of who Elijah was and what it was like there. So if you should just be able to turn right over to the next page. And we'll get started in 1 Kings chapter 17. We are going to read all the verses in this chapter, so buckle up. We're going to be here for a few minutes. But uh, let's go ahead and start in verse 1. 1 Kings 17, one. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the, by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is, before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon. And dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, "As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but an handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise, And behold, I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die." And Elijah said unto her, "Fear not; go and do as thou hast said. But make me there of a little cake first, and bring it unto me. And after, make for make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel: the barrel of meal shall not waste." neither shall the crews of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he in her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal was wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord which he spake by Elijah. And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick, and his sickness was so sore that there, were no, that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into the loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. All right, so there's a lot there to unpack, and we're going we're to dive into that. But first, we're going to look at how Elijah was used by God. All right? Now, first of all, Elijah literally kind of comes out of nowhere from our perspective. We're reading about the kings of Israel. We're reading about Ahab and all the evil that he did. And we get into verse, or chapter 17, and this is actually the first appearance of Elijah in the Bible. And we see, and Elijah the Tishbite, who was the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. So this guy that we just now get introduced to, all we know is where he's from. And we see that he's in front of the king of Israel, this evil king that we just read about, this guy who's done more to provoke anger from God than any other king of Israel. He's done more evil than any other king of Israel. And this guy that we just met out of nowhere is standing before him, basically telling him, God's not going to bring rain or dew or anything until he says he wants to, basically, is what he's telling him. So just think right there, right off the bat, that's got to be a scary situation for Elijah to be in, right? He knows who Ahab is. He knows that Ahab is this horrible, evil king, uh, setting up these, these temples to worship Baal, uh, basically throwing aside the God of his forefathers. And so he knows who the, he is. He knows how evil he is. Yet he's standing here in front of him and telling him, listen, you're not going to have any rain. And God's not very happy with you. And so, but we see he, he, he's not really careful with his words. He just says it how it is to, to Ahab when we see him there. So we see, first of all, the prophecy of the drought. Elijah comes, again, out of nowhere, tells the most evil king um, that there wouldn't be rain, and then he leaves. It seems short and simple, but that was a big task, and God used Elijah for uh, for it. And it was most likely, again, a scary situation for Elijah to be in. Um, But right after that, we see... That, that God calls Elijah to get up out of there and go, I'm going to take care of you in a separate place. He really kind of gets to just go to maybe like a nice vacation at a resort. He's right alongside some water there. He gets food brought to him every single day. He doesn't have to, you know, prepare it himself. Really kind of a nice deal that he's got going. Um, but we see that even when he's, he's pulled away, this, this fast is happening. There's famine in the land. But God was still able to sustain him because the food lasted. Um, basically, God used Elijah to show how his power... Um, how, how strong he really was, how much power he really had, where he was able to, to sustain him with the brook there and also to command over the ravens to bring him food every single day. Uh, I always wonder, you know, when I read something like this that, I mean, obviously they're just birds, don't have very big brains, but uh, was it maybe confusing to them at all? Like they're just looking at each other. Why are we bringing this guy food every day? Like why do we have this urge to just take him food every morning and every night? I don't know. That's just kind of where my mind wanders sometimes, but... Uh, Maybe maybe someday somebody will write a commentary about what the ravens thought about all this. Uh, but as we continue on throughout this chapter, we see that God also, once the brook dries up, there's no more water because, again, there's no rain. Now he, he still needs to sustain him another way. So God tells him, listen, go over to this new place. There's going to be a widow there. She's going to take care of you. And, again, God made this really easy for Elijah because the, the the widow was right there at the gate when he showed up. And he was able to talk to her and ask her to get him some water. Um, and, basically, she tells him, listen, all I have is enough food for me and my son to eat, and then we're just going to die. Okay? So, I mean, if you think if you're Elijah and you're talking to this woman, first of all, God calls you to go find this woman. You find her, you're talking to her, and you're saying, okay, now go ahead and, you know, I need some food. I need something to eat. And she says, I just got enough for me and my kid, and then we're going to die. Now, that's a pretty depressing thought to think about, that she would have that mindset. But that's really the place that they were in at this time. But also, you'd think, at least if it was me, if I was Elijah, and I'm talking to this woman, she's like, I have no food. Just enough for one meal, and that's it. And I'm thinking, well, God told me that I was supposed to come, and you were going to take care of me. And so maybe, maybe we would think we would have second thoughts about what God, uh, how much God was in control or whether he was in control at all. But Elijah was able to think back to how he provided for him at the brook. And so he spoke to the woman and said, listen, God's going to make this meal last. God's going to make this oil last. And then on top of that, he says, go ahead and make me food first and then make some for you and your son. And she goes and does it. So even from this lady, we have a little bit of faith shown there. Right? She's, she's having enough faith that, okay, I can give you food, and then I'm still going to be able to feed my, me and my son. And then I guess we'll see what happens next. We'll see if you're telling the truth about this food that's going to last. Well, as we read on, we see that it does. He, she feeds him. The food lasts. He ends up staying with them for a while. Um, uh, and her faith was put to the test. But she 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 followed through faithfully. She did what Elijah told her to do. She, she followed, uh, understood, and believed the truth that Elijah told her. Um, but then she runs into some more adversity. Her son becomes sick, so sick that there's no more breath in him. And so this is where we see how Elijah revives the boy. We read through about how he takes him upstairs. He prays over him. Uh, basically, he's pleading to God, heal this boy. Okay? Now, part of it is probably because, uh, you know, he, he, he wanted this woman's faith restored. Maybe he had grown a connection to this family and this boy since he was staying with them for so long. Um, but really he's pleading before God and God uses, his, uses Elijah's prayers. He, he answers his prayers and he, he revives the boy. Once again, proving Elijah's faith and also restoring the woman's faith. As we see her say, truly, uh, you are a man of God and the, the word that you say is true. So what's the connection that we can see, first of all, about how God uses Elijah in these areas? Now, These aren't the only ways in Elijah's life. If we were to read on, we would see that God uses Elijah in in many other ways. Um, But this is what we're kind of pulling from right now and how God was able to use him just in those three situations. Proclaiming the truth to the king, uh, going and taking care of this woman, showing really kind of two miracles, right? She was able to see the food last. She was able to see her, her son revived. Elijah, or God was able to use Elijah in both of those situations. So what's the connection that we can make? How can we look at Elijah's life and kind of make that, that connection? Well, first of all, we need to understand that God will use us in a variety of ways if, we're, if we ourselves are willing to be used by him. Uh, he may call us to share his word in a situation that might be scary or intimidating to us, Or maybe he'll call us to be his witnesses by showing his faithfulness in our lives. Just like Elijah was demonstrating God's power by making the food last, reviving the boy, uh, that's... Now, maybe we're not going to be in that exact situation, but just us living out, living faithfully to God, trusting in him, leaning on him, uh, not worrying about things, that's going to be a testimony to the people around us. So maybe uh, he's calling us to be a witness by showing his faithfulness in our lives, uh, or, may, or we might even uh, get to see him do something amazing that can't be explained by anything else. Again, think about the food and the boy being revived. Sometimes, we I'm sure maybe a lot of us can think back at different times in our lives where we look at maybe how we got through a tough situation. Maybe we actually witnessed something that was literally miraculous, that there's no other explanation uh, for it to go down that way other than God having his hand in that situation. Um, The point is to understand that we can be used by God every single day. We just need to submit ourselves to him to be used by him. All right? I remember a, a quote from a while back. I can't remember exactly um, uh, who it was. But basically this person was wrestling with God about following after what he was calling them to do. And basically he was saying, I'm a horrible person. I think about all the sin that I've done in my past. Um, and basically he, he's, having, he's wrestling with God, right? He's, he's, he's having this, this battle with God. God's trying to call him to use him. He's saying, I'm not good enough to be used by you. Um, and basically, he, he, he felt that God was telling him, I don't need you, but I want you. Think about that. God is the God of the universe. created everything, right? He created the universe. He created all every one of us, and he's given life to every one of us. He's powerful enough where he doesn't need me to see his will fulfilled. If I'm not willing to do anything, he's going to use somebody else. His will is going to be done. He doesn't need us, but he wants us To be used by him. He wants to use us so that he can be glorified through us. And so that realization of, well, God doesn't really need me, but he wants me. So think about, you know, when you're a kid and uh, you're you're, you're thinking about what you maybe want to ask for your birthday. It's all about things that you want. I would love to have this. I really want this. Um, And then maybe you get some socks. Well, you probably had a bunch of holes in your socks. Probably missing, you know, five or six of them anyway. You actually needed new socks. Those were probably like the most valuable thing to you because, one, you're going to use them every single day, right? Um, But you actually needed those socks, but you you never really think about it. You're just so focused on the thing that you got that you wanted. You wanted it so bad. And so think about that same feeling as we translate it over to God doesn't need us to fulfill his will, but he wants to use us. That should be something that that really kind of excites us um, in, in wanting to submit ourselves to be used by him. So, again, God, he can use us. Many different ways every single day. All we have to do is just be willing to submit ourselves to be used by him. All along the way as we read through this chapter in First Kings, Elijah, he didn't question God when God wanted to use him. He simply just made himself available and he was able to see God receive the glory through him. Again, if we, we read through how he's, he's confronting Ahab, we don't see how he's hesitant in doing that. God calls him to go to the brook Cherith. He's like, listen, I'm going to take care of you. Birds are going to bring you food every day. He doesn't question it. He goes the brook dries up. He doesn't say, well, God, you, you failed me now. You said the water was going to take care of me. Now it's gone. He follows after God when he says to go see the widow. Never do we see him question God or or hesitate. He just willingly steps out and goes. So as he's doing this, we're seeing Elijah show quite a bit of boldness in his life. And we really get to see a lot of his boldness if, if we were to read through chapter 18. Now, we aren't going to read um, all of chapter 18, we're going to look at a few different passages within chapter 18, but we're going to see, and again, we've already seen a little bit of it with Elijah just proclaiming to Ahab, listen, you're going to be without rain for a long time. Um, but we're going to see how Elijah, he continued to show boldness in other areas in his life. So if we were to be in first Kings chapter 18, at first, I just want to look at the first two verses there. It says, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. So here we're seeing that Elijah, he's, he's having to go confront Ahab again. Now, again, if I was Elijah, again, that was probably a really scary, intimidating situation to go before Ahab in the first place and tell him something that he didn't want to hear And so if if in that first situation, God tells me, listen, I want you to go do this. And I'm actually able to go do it. Afterwards, I breathe like a huge sigh of relief, like, awesome, I got that done with, right? But now we see later on, he has to go back in front of him. So you have to think that after Elijah came and told him that, and then all these things happen, Ahab's probably going to start to blame Elijah for these things happening because he told him that it was going to happen. And so Ahab was already an evil person. Elijah told him something that he didn't want to hear and that ended up happening. So again, this is probably even even scarier situation for Ahab to step into and go before this person who's probably pretty angry at him. Um, But we see that he goes and confronts him. Uh, He did not even hesitate to go to Ahab when God told him. He seemingly has no fear of what kind of situation he might be heading into. So he has this boldness that almost to somebody else in the situation, look at him like, you're nuts. Why would you go back there? He's not going to be happy to see you. He's not going to throw a welcoming party for you. It's not going to be a good situation to walk in. He basically seems crazy to even be willing to go do it. But he's really just so bold that he's going to follow after whatever God uh, tells him to do. And uh, let's go ahead and jump down to verse 7. I'm going to read several verses there and uh, see really what kind of happens next in this story. Verse 7 says, And as Obadiah was in the way, behold, Elijah met him. And he knew him and fell on his face and said, Art thou my Lord Elijah? And he answered him, I am. Go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, What have I sinned that thou wouldest deliver thy servant into the hand of Ahab to slay me? As the Lord thy God liveth, there is no nation or kingdom whither my Lord hath not sent to seek thee. And when they said, He is not there, he took an oath of the kingdom and nation, that they found thee not. And now thou sayest, go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here, and it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from thee, that the Spirit of the Lord shall carry thee whither I know not. And so when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find thee, he shall slay me. But I, thy servant, fear the Lord from my youth. Was it not told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord, how I hid an hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water? And now thou sayest, go, tell thy Lord, Lord, behold, Elijah is here, and he shall slay me. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, I will surely show myself unto him today. So here we're introduced to a man named Obadiah, which we read uh, back up in the chapter. Basically, he's kind of the manager of like Ahab's house. He kind of like oversees things. Uh, if you want a, maybe kind of a comparison, think about how Joseph was kind of second in command um, in Potiphar's house. He kind of oversaw everything. That's kind of what Obadiah was um, in Ahab's house. But we also understand that Obadiah, he feared the Lord greatly. In verse 3, it says that he, he feared, the, feared the Lord greatly. So first of all, just think about that aspect. This evil king done more evil than anybody else, provoked more anger from God than any other king. The guy who's kind of running his house, Greatly feared the Lord, so already before Elijah even comes back to confront Ahab, God's already in control by placing Obadiah in this in this situation, so that he can kind of be uh, Elijah's connection to Ahab. He can kind of be his go-between person, um, and God's able to use Obadiah. So now, this first of all might be a little bit of an, an encouraging uh, encouraging thing to Elijah: the fact that he's not actually alone. Although he probably felt alone many times. Uh, but God has other people serving him and following after him and doing his will. And Obadiah is one of them. And one of the things that he actually did when Jezebel, uh, Ahab's wife, wanted to kill all the prophets of God. He took a hundred of them, hid them away, and, and protected them from being killed by her. So Obadiah, he, uh, he's really doing actually an amazing job of, of serving God in probably the most difficult situation to serve God. Um, but basically what he says... He says, listen, you've been gone all these years. All the time that you've been gone, Ahab's been sending people out. Go find him. See if you can find Elijah. Bring him back to me. And basically, they come back and they say, he's not here. He's not in this country. He's not in this country. And when they said that, basically, Ahab said, all right, I want you to basically just profess and proclaim and swear to me that he's not there. So he's taking it really seriously wanting to find Elijah. And so now Obadiah is saying, so after all that, you want me to go tell him that you're here. And one, basically he says, the minute I leave and go tell him you're here, God's going to take you somewhere else. You're going to be gone. He's going to think I'm a liar and he's going to kill me. So Obadiah definitely has a, a pretty active imagination thinking that, you know, everything's just going to go the worst possible way. Right when I leave, you're going to be gone. I'm going to be killed. That's how it's going to happen. Um, but also think about Elijah as he's hearing Obadiah tell him all these things. He's had to hide and away and protect prophets of God. People, he's, Ahab's been sending people all, all this time trying to find Elijah to bring him back. That's how angry he is at him. That's how bad he wants him dead. And so if I'm Elijah again and Obadiah is telling me all these things, I'm like, do I, do I really want to go confront Ahab? He's not happy with me. He's actually very angry with me. Do I really want to go do this? But we don't see him having any kind of hesitation uh, once again. If we look at verse 15 after Obadiah says all these things to Elijah, Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, I will surely show myself unto him today. Basically, he tells Obadiah, listen, I swear to you. I promise you I'm going I'm still going to be here. I'm going to stick around. What do you go tell him? You just got to go tell him I'm here and I'm going to see him today. So he doesn't back down after hearing all these things about how Ahab and Jezebel are wanting to to kill him. Um, And really his boldness was a living example to Obadiah, who was terrified to go tell Ahab that Elijah was back because he thought he was going to die once Elijah disappeared again. Um, But basically Elijah's boldness, his faith was a living testament right in front of him that, listen, God is faithful. He's in control. You go do this and and I I promise I'm going to be there. And so, because we see Obadiah's kind of faith lacking, he's not seeing the fact that God is the one who's calling Elijah to go before Ahab. But we see Elijah's, again, his example to Obadiah. Um, And then, if we were to go down, uh, probably one of the more famous stories that Elijah is known for. Uh, If we were to read verses 17 through 40, we're not going to read through all of that. Um, But basically, this is the showdown uh, that Elijah has with the prophets of Baal. Basically, uh, Elijah goes before Ahab, and Ahab, again, is not happy to see him. Uh, So let's go ahead and read real quick about when uh, Elijah goes before Ahab. Verse 17 says, And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou, in thy father's house, in in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. So basically, Elijah goes before him, and Ahab says, You're the one who's been causing all these problems that we've been facing. We have no rain, none of it, because you came and said that, that was going to happen. He's blaming him. He's saying, It's all your fault, all these troubles that we're facing as a nation. And Elijah, again, as bold as ever, flips it on him and says, Actually, no, you're the one who's causing all this problem because you've turned your back on God. You've set up these prophets or these, these temples to worship Baal. You've completely forsaken the commandments that your forefathers were given by God. You're the reason that all this is happening. So let's think again about the kind of person that Ahab is. It probably wouldn't be totally out of the question that right then and there he could probably just have Elijah killed. Um, he doesn't, which probably would have been better for him if he had. But if we were to read on, we're going to see what actually happens. Um, Verse 19, Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal 450, and the prophets of the groves 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt thee between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, Not a word. Uh, Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I, only remain prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophet are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under. And I will dress the other bullock, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under. And call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. So this, like I said, is probably one of the more famous stories that Elijah is known for. Basically, he gives Ahab and the people of Israel a proposition. Listen, we're all going to go up onto this mountain. You get all your prophets. I'm going to go by myself. We're each going to set up our own altars. We're not going to light a fire under it. And we're each going to take turns calling on our God or gods to send fire on this altar. And so he gives this. I mean, honestly, let's be honest. It's kind of a crazy proposition. Let's go up. We're going to have this battle, set up these altars, call on our gods to light the fire. And whoever lights it on fire, that's the God. Sounds a little crazy, but we see in verse 24, they said, it's well-spoken. Great idea. Let's do it. So that's what they end up doing. And if you know the story, um, Elijah continues to be as bold as ever. Uh, these prophets of Baal, they're out there trying to call on their God. They're screaming for hours and hours trying to get him to light the fire. They're cutting themselves, harming themselves, trying to do whatever they think that they can do to help influence their God to to send fire onto this altar. And nothing's happening. And as this is happening, Elijah, you know, again being the bold person that he is, decides to kind of provoke them, to provoke the prophets of Baal. says, well, you know, maybe... Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe your God's sleeping and he's busy. That's why he's not hearing you. And then, so again, he's, he's really kind of starting to maybe have a little too much fun with it. And he's poking at them, poking fun at their, their God that he knows isn't God. Um, and basically, long story short, they're unsuccessful. So now it's Elijah's turn. And again, if you know the story, just calling on God to light the fire wasn't enough. He's like, let's stack the, against the, let's stack the deck against ourselves. Let's see how difficult we can make this look. And basically, he has them douse the entire altar in water, dig a trench around it, fill that with water. Basically, the whole thing is just sopping wet. Like, there's no chance that any fire is ever going to happen here whatsoever. And so, as if fire coming out of heaven to light this altar on fire wasn't enough. Like, that. if, if we were to see that, we went out to our bonfire pit out here, and we just prayed to God, God, start the fire, and it started up. That would be the most amazing thing I've ever seen, Right? But, no, that wasn't enough for Elijah. He's like, let's soak the entire thing so it's actually physically impossible for this to light on fire. And he calls unto God, and God, as if you know the story, sets it on fire, and it dries up all the water as well. So, again, not only was Elijah happy with, you know, just having God show his power that way, he really kind of wanted to um, almost ha- have God flex his muscles and show exactly how powerful he is. Um so, again, if we were to kind of sum up this, this showdown that Elijah has with Ahab, first of all, Elijah tells him, listen, no, you're the one who's causing all these problems in Israel. You're the one who's turning your back on him. Um, confronts him for his sin, saying you've forsaken the commandments that God's given you. And you know what? Let's settle it once and for all. We're going to go up and have our gods basically show who the real God is. And, again, uh, he, he stacked the, gas, the deck against himself. And decided to just just make it that much more amazing when God would do this. So all these things that Elijah's doing, he's very bold. He's very confident in what God is going to do. He never backs down when it comes to confronting Ahab, even though he knows that Ahab and Jezebel have been hunting him down to kill him for a very long time. Now, just a quick side note. We haven't talked too much about Jezebel other than that she married him um, and that her father's name literally meant with Baal. Uh, But... We know Jezebel to be really kind of the driving force behind the wickedness of Ahab. He, if you really want to, you know, say the truth of what it, the situation is, he's really so evil just because he's more of a pushover. She's really the one kind of running the show. She's the one who's so evil and a horrible person. I mean, just think about it. Is anybody, if you, if you can think of anybody that you've met named Jezebel? Probably not. That name got retired a long time ago because of her. So... <laughs> She's not a very nice lady, not somebody you want to be associated with. But she's really the one who's driving all this evil. And so she's the one who really wants to see Elijah killed. We read that Obadiah, when he was hiding the prophets, he was hiding them from her. But uh, So basically, they've been hunting him down to kill him for a long time. He understands the importance of what God called him to do. So he was bold as he went to confront Ahab and proclaim the truth to the people of Israel. Whatever it is that God's calling us to do, we must remember that we can do it with the same boldness that Elijah showed. But we might be thinking that there's no way that there's no way I can be as bold as Elijah was. Um, I could never even imagine just going and talking to somebody, even like kind of quivering in my shoes. You know, I couldn't imagine going and talking to such an evil person that who wants me killed to not just, you know, confront him kind of in a really shy manner, but to do it so boldly, there's no way I could ever do that. Um, but, Maybe once we get a better understanding of exactly where Elijah's boldness came from, uh, we might have a different idea. So now we're going to talk about the source of Elijah's boldness. Uh, If we look back at chapter 17, verses 5 and 6, we're reminded about how God provided for Elijah at the brook Cherith. Basically, God told him, you go to the brook Cherith, you're going to be able to live off the water there. And while you're there, I'm going to have the ravens feed you twice a day. And we read back, and that's exactly what happened. So... Uh, Right away, we see that God provided for Elijah exactly how he said that he would. He told him, listen, go here. Trust me, I'm going to take care of you. And he did it in the exact way that he said that he would. And so in that situation, we see that God was faithful. Also, if we continue on in chapter 17, we're reminded again about how Elijah went to live with the widow. And that whole situation that went down there, he provided for Elijah at the home of her. Um, He sustained him miraculously, right? She didn't have enough food to uh, feed three people. She said, I have for me and my son, that's it. Well, Elijah said, go ahead and make me some food first, and then then you two. It's also kind of interesting that she didn't, like, fight back. Like, did you not hear what I just said? I have enough for me and my son, that's it, and you want me to make your food first. But she ended up going and doing it, um, saying, like, because he told her that God was going to take care of her, God was going to provide, he was going to make the food last. So we see that God sustained Elijah miraculously. Elijah believed that God would provide because he sustained him thus far. The reason Elijah didn't question it, even when he went to the woman and she's like, I don't have enough food. The reason he didn't question God was because God just took care of him for a long time just with the brook and the the ravens feeding him. So again, in this situation, God was faithful. And then we also see, if we're, uh, we're going to kind of dial in exactly how God came through for Elijah on Mount Carmel. So we're going to go back to the chapter 18, read some verses there, but we're going to see how God provided for him there. So 1 Kings chapter 18, we're going to start in verse 23. It says, Let them therefore give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under. And I will dress the other bullock, and lay it on wood, and put no fire under And call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourself, and dress it first, for ye are many. And call the name of your gods, and put no fire under. And they took the bullock bullock which was given them, and they dressed it, and called on the name of Baal, from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. Nor any that answered, and they leaped upon the altar which was made. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, "Cry aloud, for he is a god; either he is talking, or he is pursuing, or he is in a journey, or peradventure he sleepeth, and he must be awakened." And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner, and uh, with knives and lancets uh, till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when midday was passed. Uh, And they prophesied unto the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that there was neither voice nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord uh, that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the, the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the altar as great as wood, contained two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran, ran round about the altar and he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass as the time of the offering, the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, that that, that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and thou, thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is the God, the Lord, he is the God. And Elijah said unto him, unto them, take the prophets of Baal, let, them, uh, ne- let not one of them escape. And they took them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. So again, to kind of recap how God came came through and provided for Elijah and you know I wonder again if I was in Elijah's shoes even if I was saying let's let's dump all this water on the altar as it's happening and like all right do it a second time do it a third time I myself would be thinking like God, I really hope you're going to come through because I've really set myself up for a massive failure if you don't come through here. Um, But again, we don't see any kind of wavering like that from Elijah. We see that God provides for him on Mount Carmel. He showed his power in the showdown with the prophets of Baal. Even when Elijah made things seem impossible, God showed his power. Elijah knew that God was capable and would come through. And again, God was faithful. So if we were to ask our questions, where, what is the source of all this boldness that Elijah is showing every step of the way as we're looking and, and seeing what's going on in his life? Why is he so bold in all these situations? Well, it's because he knows that he's doing this in the name of, in the name of his God the one true God. He knows that he's been called by God to go proclaim this truth and tell these things to these people and show that God is the one true God. He knows that God has been faithful every step of the way. He knows if God's calling me to do this, he's going to be there. He's going to be the driving force. I just have to be the tool that he's going to use for it. So the connection that we can make with ourselves, we see that Elijah's boldness was rooted in in the faithfulness of God. Elijah didn't face all these situations so boldly because he wasn't afraid of anything. Now, again, if we look back and see, his boldness wasn't rooted in his faith in God because sometimes his faith might waver. Sometimes our faith might waver. After this happened, Elijah, he was completely like wore out, and he goes and basically wants to just die. He tells God, listen, I'm the only one who's left. I'm the only prophet of you. Like nobody else is wanting to serve you in this nation. After he just saw this amazing thing happen on Mount Carmel. After he just talked to Obadiah and said that he protected a hundred prophets of God and hid them away and and protected them from Jezebel. God says, listen, it's not just you. There's still a lot of people in my nation who want to serve me. So his boldness wasn't rooted in his own faith in God, because as we see, his faith wavered at times. But his boldness was rooted in the faithfulness of God, God's faithfulness. Again, he didn't face all these situations so boldly because he just wasn't afraid of anything. He was able to be so bold because God had been faithful every step of the way. From the moment we meet Elijah, he's confident in God and does not hesitate to follow his call. Remember, we're introduced to him and immediately we see that he's in front of this evil king telling him there's not going to be any rain. It's safe to assume that he was like this because God had always provided for him and was faithful throughout his life leading up to when we get introduced to him. He, he was obviously following God, was a servant of God up before we see him in front of Ahab for the first time. And all along the way, God had been faithful as we know that he's been faithful in our lives. So that's where, why he was able to be so bold in confronting Ahab there. It's important to realize that we can be just as bold as Elijah because we serve the same God who has always provided our needs for us and who is always right there for us every step of the way. Now, I want to go back to making the connection of, you know, when we're a kid and the difference between what we want and what we need. What I just said there about how God's always provided our needs, we might say, well, God, he hasn't always given me the things that I've asked of him. Well, maybe we shouldn't have been asking that. Maybe it w- we had the wrong motivation. Maybe it was a selfish motivation to say, like, God, I would really like to have this. Instead of saying, God, if this is your will, let me have this. It's, you see the difference there. The focus is on me as opposed to him. And so if we were to think back and think about all the things that we've needed, the things to sustain us, God's provided every step of the way. And so we serve the same God, the same God who's been just as faithful in our lives as he was in Elijah's life. And so the boldness that he had, if it was rooted in God's faithfulness, we can have that same boldness each and every day when we're called to be witnesses of him in the world around us because he's just as faithful now as he was then, so let's go ahead and, and try and wrap things up and, and kind of make the connection to what I talked about before about being that witness in the in, in the world around us, even in different or difficult situations because as we look at the world around us, things seem to all of us that they've that they're the worst that they've ever been in our, in our lives up to this point right um, well. First of all, we're not the first people to think that. I feel like people have probably thought that all throughout history. Things have never been this bad. Things are never going to be worse. or th- Things are only going to get worse. They're never going to be better. I feel like people have probably thought that all throughout history. Um, so how are we going to make the connection uh, of taking Elijah's boldness and applying that to us today? Um, As I mentioned at the beginning, it would be difficult and intimidating in today's world to proclaim the word of God. Uh, I think we can say that the word Elijah lived in, or the world that Elijah lived in, would fit that description as well. However, every step of the way, we see Elijah boldly going forth and following the call of God and proclaiming his truth despite the spiritually dark world that he lived in. So we need to remember that God can use us and wants to use all of us to be his light in the dark world that we live in today. We can boldly be that light because we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us. We know that God has always been faithful, so we can be bold and confident that he's going to continue to be faithful. Understand that he's the driving force. He's calling us to to really just be his his mouthpiece. We're going to be the one to proclaim his truth, but it's God who's the driving force behind us. We're just the willing servant uh, to be used by him. So as we look around and see the dark world that we live in, rather than shake our head and give up or worrying about what life uh, will be like down the road or concerned about, well, there's no reason for me to even try. What can I do? It's only going to get worse. Instead of doing that, let's step out boldly and be the light that we've been called to be and watch God receive the glory and all of that. Now, I mentioned at the beginning the connection between this story of Elijah and his boldness. And the, the book of Daniel. Well, if, if you have any familiarity with the book of Daniel, there's really kind of four major, um, four major characters in that story. Uh, we have Daniel, and then we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, now, side note, I haven't looked into it yet, but I had a question last week or the week before. And I was talking to Pastor John. We all know, da- like when I say Daniel, we know who I'm talking about, right? That's his name. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that was their Babylonian names that were given to them. They had Hebrew names. Daniel was Daniel's Hebrew name. He was named Belteshazzar. That was his uh, Babylonian name. So I I was just curious as to why, you know, we know of Daniel as Daniel, and we call him that, but we call the other guys as their their Babylonian names. It wasn't their, like, actual identity. Um, It's interesting, too, because Daniel writes the book of Daniel, and so he's referring to himself as Daniel, and these were his friends, but he was calling them by their wrong name. Um, They're not their original name. So that was just a side note, not related whatsoever. Um, If you happen to know or find that out, let me know. I'd be happy to take credit for that when I share it with Pastor John. Um, uh, But anyway, the the connection between this this story and their boldness there is these were young men who were taken from their homes and brought into this new nation with completely different kind of way of living. They had to adopt the way of living of the Babylonians. They had to really kind of fit in. But if we were to read through that story, they had, in in the book that we're reading through uh, by Alistair Begg, they talk about how they knew what their lines were. They set their boundaries. We're not going to go over this. We're going to continue to worship God. Uh, We will assimilate to this culture, but we're not going to forsake our God and the commandments that he's given us and and the vows that we've made to follow after him. And no matter what it was that they faced, we know Daniel was in an alliance then. Daniel was threatened with death because they, they basically outlawed praying. We see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into a fiery furnace because they were not willing to bow down to a false idol. They were never willing to step over those lines, those boundaries that they set in place. They were bold in keeping those boundaries. And so that's, that's where that connection comes from. And really, again, we can take that boldness that they showed, the same boldness that Elijah showed uh, when he faced Ahab, the prophets of Baal, all these different situations that he faced. He was so bold in going after and following after what God had called him to do, proclaiming the truth of God and sharing that with the world around him. We serve that same exact God, the same exact God that Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego serve. We serve that same God. He's just as faithful to them. He's going to be just as faithful to us. He's already been just as faithful to us in our lives. Uh, It's just difficult to remember that sometimes when we're going through difficulties. Uh, But if we just remember that that's the same God. He's going to be just as faithful for us. He's the driving force behind us. We just have to be willing to be used by him. We can be just as bold as we go out and we are that light in the dark world that's around us. So uh, let's go ahead and pray. We're going to close in a word of prayer, have a time of invitation. I hope that you've been challenged today. Uh, I've been challenged by this as, as, as God was laying this on my heart to be able to share with us this morning. And so as we pray, I just want us to think about, uh, God, what is, what is stopping me from being so bold? What is stopping me from trusting in you that you're just going to be faithful like you've always been faithful? Uh, and really, God, if, if there is something in my life that's keeping me from being, trusting in you and being bold and following after your faithfulness, Reveal that to me so I can, I can address that and really God just continue to give me that boldness, that courage uh, to go forth and proclaim your truth. So let's go ahead and pray and we'll go into a time of invitation. Dear God, I thank you for today. I thank you just once again for bringing us here. And I thank you for uh, really the example that Elijah is in this story as we look and we see his boldness that he's, he never backs down. Uh, he just continues to, to go forth and follow after your calling without hesitation, God. And uh, I pray that it, that we would remember that it, it's not just because uh, Elijah wasn't afraid of anything. It's not because his faith didn't waver at times. We know that his faith wavered at times as well, God. And uh, so I pray that maybe if our faith is currently wavering or, or when it does, that we wouldn't think that that means that that we're no longer useful, that we can no longer be used by you. Because really the boldness, the, the confidence comes from the fact that you're faithful, the that you're, you're the one who is going to be the driving force when we take the, the word out to the world around us and proclaim your truth and stand up for what's right and share the gospel with people we come in contact with? So I pray that you would be with us uh, this morning and when we leave here today, maybe there's somebody that you've you've been laying on our hearts uh, that we need to share the gospel with, uh, somebody that you've laid on our hearts to really just uh, share the love of Christ with. It, but it's difficult, and I pray that you would just con- that you would give us that boldness, re- reveal to us that you are the person who's giving us that power. The Holy Spirit in us is where that power is coming from and that we would just completely lean on you and trust in you. I pray that we would uh, just turn to you fully and pray that you'd bless this time that we have here today and uh, pray that you bless this time of invitation that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you're welcome to come to the altar. If you feel like God's calling you to share something with somebody uh, and you just feel that like you don't have that courage, you don't have that boldness, and that's something that you, you, you want to address. If you can come to the altar. You can pray in your seats. Let's go ahead and take this time of invitation. You can stand and sing with the band, uh, and then we'll close in prayer.